Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. state everybody um this is our second part this week which we felt was important because of the horror that we're witnessing in gaza and the horror we witnessed in israel and we want to look backwards and forwards again and again we're both very conscious about trying to deal with these matters in a way that is uh, truthful and isn't um, uh, bombastic, I suppose, is the way we'd, 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 we'd put it. Um, you, I told have, me, you told me that you were... Well, I have, I, my, my, my closest friend is... Uh, like you, you know, well, it's not, it's not quite a similar parallel with you having, you know, good friends who are Protestants, Joe, but my closest friend <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is Jewish. And uh, I told him that we were thinking about doing this and he said oh god <laughs> um, but it's an interesting thing but uh, that I think that cause the um, although although there are such an amazingly small number of Jewish people in the world no doubt the relic of the extermination of so many of those precious lives by the Nazis that they do have they do have a very powerful voice in the world and, uh, I noticed that, and you see it in the media, and you see it, you know, even when we were talking about discussing this, you're, you're, you're sort of, people are afraid to talk about it because the Israeli sort of guns can be trained on you very quickly. Well, I think you it's, know, and they're know. reluctant to, they're reluctant to um, talk about it honestly. I'm, you know, I noticed whenever any of the Israeli defense ministers or prime minister are being questioned about it, they are very defensive and and very offensive to the interviewer unless it's an entirely sympathetic line. Well, so yeah. like it is it is something that that people I think tend to say, well, just stay away from this. You know, just well, do well it. I also think it's, it's too much hassle. Well, I also think it's it's a it's a, it's and I, as I said at the beginning of the first part, you you when you witness um, such an outbreak of stupidity. Uh, I, I'm kind of reluctant to to add to it in any way, and um, because there's been so many terrible, uh, offensive in the in the kind of truest sense of the word, uh, takes for want of a better word, that you uh, you know I don't I don't want to, I don't want to add to it. And I think I think you know I think um, the idea that Jewish people have a kind of you know aren't aren't a kind of uh, a cross section of society, and don't you know? Have they may have voices in the media, but they have they have also you know we've seen it. You've seen it like 
in the in the week before we on the, the the Friday last week with schools closing, Jewish schools closing thing. Then they are they are they are they are like as we we're trying to get across in this, you know, they are they are fearful people too. They have to deal with the consequences. Absolutely. You know, there's Jewish schools in in London telling their you know, saying we won't have detention this week because we don't want anyone outside, outside normal school yeah. hours. Don't wear your, mm. your blazer for fear of attack. Yeah. It's awful. So when, when I and bring... No, and it's no good to anybody. No, and when I bring up... anti-Semitism will rise now will, in parts of the world. And, and, when I bring and up, when I bring up my friend, it's because, you know, when I talk to him, and we all know this, and one of the things about this podcast is we've talked about memory and we've talked about how powerful they are and how important they are and how they get carried down uh, from, you know, they, 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 we, when we talked about the Legacy Bill and we talked about Stardust and we talked about Hillsborough and how these memories get carried on. They don't. When people are, when people are treated with contempt, when people are treated, you know, in a way that is less, as yeah. Wintermensch, you know, then, then something deep inside the person finds it very, very difficult to be restful, but, know, but he, set, to settle yeah. in their lives. But, but the point, you know, I, I saw this week on Sky News, the just the former Israeli Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, and he was asked by the Sky News presenter, he said, like, what about the children and incubators, the babies who we've heard from uh, the United Nations relief teams in Gaza, whose life support has been turned off because the Israelis have cut off the power? And his answer was, he was extremely enraged, and we'll play the clip. Are you seriously asking about Palestinian civ civilians? What is wrong with you? And, and what about those Palestinians in hospital who uh, are on life support and babies and incubators whose uh, life support and incubator will have to be turned off because the Israelis have cut the power to Gaza? Are you seriously keep on asking me about Palestinian civilians? What's, what's wrong with you? Have you not seen what happened? We're fighting Nazis. We don't target them. Now, the world can come and bring them anything they want. If you want to bring them electricity, I'm not going to feed electricity or water to my enemies. If anyone else wants, that's fine. We're not responsible this is, for them. This is the point. But you this keep is on, the point. You, no, no, I, I want to tell you, no, 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 listen, you listen to me right now. I've heard you enough. No, no, I understand. We're trying to have a conversation here. Listen, this is my program. This is my show. And I am asking the questions. You're raising your voice, and I've asked you, and we've already, we've already stopped, please, and let me finish. We've already distinguished between Hamas. I want to tell you, you're trying to speak over me. We are not, shame on you. It's nothing about shame. We're trying to have a conversation about a very serious situation here, and you are refusing to address it. And this idea that any human life is worth any less than another human life, and you know, like you know and I, I know, this will go around and around. I mean, we've been here many times. I mean, in 2014, three Israeli teenagers were kidnapped and murdered. Um, and the response was just like this, all the same words, all the same rhetoric. It was an all-out military blitz on Gaza. So the horrific murder of three innocent teenagers, Israeli teenagers, um, and then the response is not, look, we need to find a lasting civilized solution to all of this. It is okay. We are going to fuck Gaza. We're going to fucking show these people that they will not rear their heads again. And by the time we're finished with them, they will be lucky if they have anything left to eat. So what began was called, you know, these euphemisms for murder. 2014 Operation Protective Ridge. That's what they called it. And over a span of 50 days, they killed over 2,500 Palestinians in Gaza. And that included 1,500 civilians and 500 children. Children under 12 years of age. 11,000 Palestinians were wounded. 3,500 children were wounded. According to the United Nations, 1,000 children this is down to babies, were left permanently disabled. 20,000 Palestinian homes were destroyed and half a million people displaced. Israel lost 67 soldiers, okay, mm. and five civilians. 
So they went in with shock and awe, just like they're doing now. They smashed them up. I mean, they committed war crimes, they breached international law as they do because the Americans have their back. And what did it achieve? What did it achieve? Here we are again. The only difference now is that instead of three teenagers being kidnapped and murdered, that's a thousand precious Israeli lives, innocent people, it will continue to go around and around and around. And I thought, when I was thinking about this, I thought of the assassination of Reinhard Heydrich, a notorious sort of Czechoslovakian overlord, in 1942. And the Czechoslovakian resistance, which was a tiny movement of resistance, uh, they had refused to accept German rule. And they attacked Heydrich, and he died on the 4th of June, 1942. And Hitler decided that an example would be made of the village of Lidice in Czechoslovakia. And he ordered, just like we're seeing now in Israel, he ordered that the village be raised to the ground. And it was the complete destruction of a small village uh, in what's now the Czech Republic. And it was a very clearly documented instance of German war crimes during the Second World War because of the 340 people that were murdered in the massacre, 88 were children and 60 were women. Now, again, the Czechoslovakian people survived. They hung on. Because that's what people do. And now, you know, they were the proud Czech Republic. I know there have been all sorts of problems here. Politically. And with violence over the years. But now, the Czechoslovakian Republic is thriving. Because people survive. They hang on. And, you know, there are, there are so many instances of this around the world. That you're driven to the conclusion as many commentators have been, that Netanyahu is, has helped to sow the seeds of all of this, has, you know, imperiled Israel by filling the people with lies and paranoia and distrust. And I, I, I read this week Robert Reich, a prominent, highly respected member of the Jewish community in the United States, you know, a prominent academic, and he was the Secretary of Labor in Bill Clinton's administration, and a prolific writer, um, an economist. And he wrote, whether the authoritarian leader is called Netanyahu, Trump, or Putin, when he gains power by dividing the public, spreading baseless conspiracy theories, accusing opponents of being deep state traitors. He weakens his society's capacity to protect itself from all sorts of threats. He undermines the public good, which is the wellspring of a society's true strength. Netanyahu, Trump and Putin have imperiled their nations by filling them with lies, paranoia and distrust. And now you've got this headlong war in Gaza, which has no goal, other than smash and destroy. And we look on helpless because we say, what is the international community doing? What's America going to do? Well, I, I, mean, I, I think... Who's going to do something I think like when this? you say that it has no goal, I think that's an important point as well, because we did touch on that in the first part as well, about yeah. that sense of having to do something. Um, that sense we must justify... Yeah. Uh, justify our failures in a way, and I there was a a, a tweet by a, a tweet a, a thread by a guy who's a lecturer in peace and security in at, at Durham, and he was talking about um, you know why at this was at this was last week why Israel hadn't gone in uh, to Gaza yet, but, and you know essentially it boiled down to they don't know what they don't know what to do, and. You know the par like we can talk about parallels all we like, but when you, when I, when you, you read in this, uh, 
Um, um, he says, uh, since the Saturday attack showed all Israel's intel and strategic planning was wrong, it makes sense to take stock. And then he says, fourth, most importantly, no one wants to go into Gaza. Israel left Gaza in 2005 and hasn't reoccupied it since because it never wanted to control it in the first place. It left 80% of Gaza in the early 90s. This wasn't out of the goodness of his heart. This is because Gaza is one of the most densely populated regions in the world. It's urban topography and hostile population. It's a counterinsurgency specialist stuff of nightmares. That's before you add 150 Israeli hostages into the mix. So you're in this situation now where every bit of and again, you know, I'm reluctant to, uh, you know, wade in sometimes, but every bit of common sense is like, do nothing. Do, take stock. Why would you, why would you, yeah. why would you create a humanitarian disaster, except for the reason, you know, you lay out about, about the so, dehumanization of the, of the people of Gaza anyway. Well, there, but also, so let me just finish, yeah, but, but also then end up in a situation that is going to make and this is, and this is, the, this is the key point about this as well. This isn't, this is, isn't um, a, a situation now that simply and tragically and desperately threatens the people of Gaza and threat and you know and whatever happens in in Israel as well. There is, there is, there are so many. You know, you have Iran looking on. You have Iran funding Hamas. You have. Uh, Hezbollah, you have everything there in this in this in this area that this can escalate. You know, uh, this can escalate in a situation where the world is pretty pretty fucked as it is. That this is not something you want to escalate. And and this comes back no, to your point. No one, well, let me finish. This comes back to your yeah, but, point but about no Netan one can win. No, yeah, but this no comes back to your this. point about having somebody like Netanyahu uh, uh, in in power hmm. just makes this situation. Again, as if you had Trump sitting there, you you have yeah. you have a terrifying situation where somebody who you cannot and I will say this um, about about Joe Biden and I'm like I think you know Biden is probably and I I would have you know again that rhetoric about Israel and and the right to defend itself and all that kind of stuff which again as with Keir Starmer is the political necessity which trumps good judgment in in that sense. But again, at the same time, I would have some hope that Biden, behind closed doors, off the record, is actually doing things that are well, saying well, I, 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 have, I have no doubt that that's correct, but it was extremely disappointing, you know, and I'm friendly with Sean, very fondly, fond of the president. Uh, if that doesn't sound presumptuous, but it was extremely disappointing. But not surprising. To see, to see his, you know, approach, which is, you know, again... It gives it gives a, a green light to Israel to do whatever it wants to do. I mean, I think it it's important to know that there is a, a strong voice in Israel amongst the Israeli people themselves who are a beautiful race and a beautiful people, uh, as are the Palestinian people, which says, look, this is, this is mental. It is mental. I mean, Dr. Israel Shank, professor of organic chemistry, Holocaust survivor, and civil rights activist. The Nazis made me afraid to be a Jew, he said. The Israelis make me ashamed to be one. And Haaretz, which is the Israeli paper of record, and it's a really a very rigorous, proper newspaper that insists on the truth and getting to the truth. You know, and it hasn't been drowned out by the violent propaganda that's now swamping Israel and conditioning its youth. I mean, um, one of their writers, Yossi Klein, has accused Israel's sort of national religious community, you know, the, the, the out-of-control settlers who are going into the Palestinian areas and bulldozing homes and evicting people. He is, he is accused the uh, Israeli government of carrying out a campaign of ethnic cleansing and allowing that to happen. He says, we are more dangerous than Hezbollah, more than drivers in car ramming attacks or girls with scissors, stabbing people. You know, what do we want to cleanse the country of Arabs? 
between the editorial board of Haaretz, which uh, it's a tremendous paper. I subscribe to it and I advise anybody who wants to get a, a better handle on what's going on, you know, to, to get through the propaganda to the truth. Their editorial, um, just last week, the disaster that has befallen Israel on the holiday of Simchat Torah is the clear responsibility of one person, Benjamin Netanyahu. He completely failed to identify the dangers he was consciously leading us into when establishing a government of annexation and dispossession of peoples, when appointing extremists Bezalel Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gavir to key positions, while embracing a policy that openly ignores the existence and rights of the Palestinian people. I mean, I pause to say that Ben-Gavir, who Netanyahu promoted to a key position in his cabinet, he was not accepted get this, he was not accepted for the compulsory military service in the Israeli Defence Forces because he was considered too extreme. His views were deemed fanatical. He was deemed too dangerous and he was rejected. He appealed and his appeal was rejected and now he's in a position of great power in the Israel cabinet. I don't know if you saw Daniel Levy, who's another very eminent Jewish writer and philosopher on the BBC, he was asked, well, the Israelis would say, well, look, we're defending ourselves. We're targeting Hamas targets in Gaza. And Levi was infuriated. He said, do you really keep a straight face when you say that? These kind of lies cannot be allowed to pass. You know, and he set out what the truth was. The Israelis would say, well, look, you know, we are defending ourselves. We are targeting <coughs> Hamas targets in Gaza. We are trying to put an end uh, to what we believe is a terrorist organization once and for all. Do you really keep a straight face when you say that? Do you think terrorist organizations embedded in populations who are denied their most basic rights are ended once and for all in a military campaign? Does that happen in history? Can someone credibly tell me that when the leadership of a country says, we are cutting off food, electricity, water, all supplies, to an entire civilian population that they're targeting militants. I'm sorry, these kind of lies can't be allowed to pass. And when you tell yourself the lie, it leads to the wrong policy. If anyone told me <clears throat> that what the militants did on the weekend was a legitimate response to years and years of occupation, I would say, no, you're wrong-headed. You've lost sight of humanity and reality. And if anyone tells me that what Israel is doing in Gaza today is a legitimate response to what happened on the weekend, it's exactly the same. And yet they are saying it, and yet the international community is yes, saying and that. Yes, and people need to challenge them on it, because it's a lie, and we're warmongering if we allow them to get away with it. I mean, the, the Israeli writer and philosopher Gideon Levi on Sky News a few days ago, Israelis have been normalizing the siege on Gaza as if it's acceptable that two million people can live in a cage for 17 years. This is the source for everything. The Israeli arrogance of believing that we can live only on our army, only on our swords, only on our technology, normalizing the siege on Gaza as if it's, you know, something acceptable that two million people are living in a cage for 17 years now. This was unacceptable, and this is the source for everything. And again, by this, I don't mean that if Israel would have lifted the siege, all the problems would have been solved and Hamas would have vanished. No. But this should be the first step, and unfortunately, nobody even mentions it. And Gideon, give us a sense of, of how much that kind of argument is your argument, your position on this is reciprocated by ordinary Israelis. You know, there's a lot of information, misinformation some, in some parts on social media about the feelings within Israel. And of course, the country is reeling after coming under brutal, brutal attack. But that sense that something else could have happened, there could have been a different outcome to this, how much is that shared by ordinary Israelis? None whatsoever, unfortunately. Israel, most of the Israelis, I mean, there are some individuals who might raise this kind of discourse, but most of the Israelis are now preoccupied, first of all, with mourning. Secondly, with looking for revenge. Anger, anger is very strong. 
and looking for, for I must, I'm afraid to say, looking for Palestinian bloodshed. And this is what is going to happen. You know, behind all this lies our arrogance, our Israeli arrogance, the idea that we can do whatever we like, that we'll never pay the price and be punished for it. We'll carry on undisturbed. We'll arrest, kill, harass, dispossess, protect the settlers busy with their pogroms of the Palestinian people. You know, we'll fire at innocent people, take out people's eyes and smash their faces, expel, confiscate, rob, grab people from their beds, carry out ethnic cleansing and continue with the unbelievable siege of the Gaza Strip. But don't worry, everything will be all right. We will build a terrifying obstacle around Gaza. The underground wall alone cost three billion shekels, almost a billion dollars, and we'll be safe. We'll rely on our intelligence units and the security service agents who know everything. Everything will be all right. You know, and then it turns out that the world's most sophisticated and expensive wall can be breached with a bulldozer when the motivation is great and there's a desperation on the part of the people who are oppressed. You know, I mean, as, 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 as the editorial board of Haaretz said just yesterday, we thought we'd continue to go down to Gaza, scatter a few crumbs in the form of Israeli work permits, contingent, of course, on good behavior, keep them in their prison, you know, make peace with Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, and the Palestinians will be forgotten until they're erased, as quite a few Israeli people would like. We'll hold thousands of Palestinian prisoners, sometimes without trial, most of them political prisoners. We'll tell them that only by force will their prisoners see freedom. We will re arrogantly reject any attempt at diplomatic solutions because we don't want to deal with all that and everything will continue this way forever. You know, and now, you know, we are discovering that a few hundred Palestinian fighters proved that it's impossible to imprison two million people forever without paying a cruel price. And, you know, that's, that's Israel's newspaper of record. You know, that's not me saying that. And, you know, the worst possible scenario now waits again. You know, mass murder of an innocent civilian population. Um, where, as we know, the priority is to kill and to damage, not accuracy, which is what the Israeli defense minister said. And, you know, we cry bitterly for the Israeli victims, all those precious lives, you know, in the, in the life that we have. We cry bitterly for them. But we must also cry bitterly for Gaza, a place that has never known a single day of freedom. It's it, 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 it's so frustrating and depressing when you think of what those peoples, both those peoples must be going through, you know, on a daily basis. I mean, you've been in Tel Aviv, I've been in yeah, Tel Aviv. Well, I, I mean, gonna, talk, talk to us about Well, I was going to say that because it's, uh, it is, it's such, like I, I was only in Israel once about 17 years ago now and <clears throat> purely by coincidence we happened to be there. I was there for Ireland were playing Israel. I was there on Good I was at Easter and I was there on Good Friday. And we went to Jerusalem on Good Friday. And we were staying in Tel Aviv and Tel Aviv and now I know this is coming from a position of privilege and you know it's a it's a wonderful place for liberal Israelis. Yeah. But it is a it, in it, it's it, a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city and the people that you know the number of people you meet there and this is going back a long but who are horrified by what is going on. And then you go to Jerusalem. You could be, when you're in Tel Aviv, you could be somewhere in the south of France, well, more likely sort of Sicily or yeah. somewhere like that, where people are, there's a cafe culture. I mean, I played basketball out mm. there. And I think I mentioned it maybe in the first episode. Now we had the ever-present two security men because in an international basketball tournament, they didn't want the Irish, they didn't want anybody to, they didn't want, anything like that to interrupt, you know? Because there is an element of stage managing as well, like going to North Korea, you know, we had to be, it was an absolute priority. What year was that? That was about 1987, okay. about 1987. And it was a, a 
a brilliant experience. Mm. And I would have said to anyone, you know, you want to go on a holiday, Tel, Tel Aviv is such a beautiful experience. Um, calm, peaceful, beautiful nightlife, beautiful music, beautiful food. What a country. And then you go, well, it's funny, we, we, had, a, we had a, I remember older, we had a taxi you driver. A, you take a spin across to Gaza and you're in, you're in a daily human misery. Yeah, you are. And my point is this. What is the point? What is the point in me doing well if my neighbor's homeless? What is the point in me doing well, you know, if my neighbor lives in poverty and fear? You know, what is the point of me having human rights and being respected? You know, if my neighbor, and I mean by that anyone anywhere in the world, is being treated so horrifically, what's the point of it? You know, it's a, it is insanity in the true meaning of the word. Yeah, it is. And you talk about going to Gaza, but I remember going to Jerusalem and we actually had a taxi driver whose surname was Kennedy uh, and he had Irish roots. I always remember that. And he, again, he was one of these people who just, um, he just longed for, and again, it sounds, it sounds like kind of Miss World kind of Eurovision stuff. Like, but he just wanted, he longed for a kind of a, a simple, life without this undercurrent even in Tel Aviv then of of dread and then you go to somewhere like Jerusalem which is the you see you see the gathering of fundamentalism there and you see and especially especially to be there on Good Friday it was uh you know it was a real it was a real melting pot of it um and uh it's um you know between and it's and you look at this contested land and you look at and you know it's got worse since then because you know yeah. of of actions trump took and the various things that happened you know they uh well it cannot get better i mean the united nations are fighting a losing battle i mean one of the buildings that was destroyed this week was a school for the blind in gaza mm. so they could fix small blind children now their school has been destroyed the vast trauma that there is there that's building up hurt you know I mean you know that there have been three four massacres this year already of Palestinians in Israel I can't remember there being any publicity why is that it's because you know Riyad Mansour was a Palestinian ambassador to the United Nations, very intelligent, very persuasive man. He said to the United Nations, history begins for most media and politicians when Israelis are killed. But the Palestinian people have endured one deadly year after another, back to times that I can't even remember. And it's because I suppose I think there's an element of racism. I think that there's, you know, if it's not white people, we see this with Ukraine, the way the Ukraine cause has been openly embraced by all of us, quite rightly. Um, but well, we, but we see, yeah, it wasn't we embraced see, by we everybody. See, we see the sort of, the, and, and it's partly this dehumanization of the Palestines, and also it's politics. I mean, we saw that whenever, whenever, um, it looked as though there was going to be a truly radical breakthrough in British politics. A man of integrity, a man whose only interest was the common good and the good of the people, a man who was not a propagandist. Boris Johnson. <laughs> they accused Jeremy Corbyn of being an anti-Semite and they destroy him. The very powerful Jewish lobby assists in destroying him. I, yeah, I uh, think I would. And a man, and a man, and we we know what the labour investigation that was subsequently the the the, the investigation that was subsequently uh, kept secret reveals about all of that and the huge skullduggery that there was around that. I mean, we know. I, that, I was we just saying one Joe thing. Biden I was saying that there was say well, anything. Joe Biden is afraid to say anything that will that will upset his prospects of re-election. So I would say on that that it wasn't just a powerful Jewish lobby. There were people who genuinely felt. Uh, again, felt that they were subject to uh, anti-Semitism by, Look, by, by people surrounding the, the Labour Party of Jeremy Corbyn. The point is this, so that, it would be easy to stir that up around Keir Starmer as well, 
but there's no reason to do that because his his approach is not radical. He's just going to follow essentially the same politic as the Conservatives, the newspapers, the Mail on Sunday, the Telegraph, the Times, all of which are owned by non-domiciled, extremely powerful billionaires, you know, are quite content that he's not going to upset mm-hmm. the apple cart. And therefore, there's no need to demonize him. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of a sudden, out of the blue, Jeremy Corbyn was an anti-Semite. And you, so just bear with me. Yeah. What's true is true. You couldn't turn on the news without anti-Semitic, 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 anti-Semitic. That was the BBC. It was ITV. It was a constant theme. You know, it became a blood sport. And he was destroyed. Now, he was obviously partly destroyed by Brexit and the euphoria around that fantasy. In relation to the Palestinians, who speaks for them? Leo Varadkar spoke this week about the need for international law to be observed. But I mean, do you know do, do you know what the Nablus massacre was? Tell me. Well, in February this year, um, Israeli soldiers went in and murdered um, eleven Palestinians in the small, including a teenager in the small town of Nablus. Um, did, did you hear any outcry around that? Oh. Another day of death and bloodshed in Nablus. The worst this city has seen since the depths of this conflict two decades ago. It started with Israeli undercover forces seen here entering the city in disguise. Then more raided. It was mid-morning, into streets packed with people, sparking gunfights with Palestinian militants. Troops opened fire and blew up a building in the old city. I was woken by an explosion and saw special forces with dogs, troops connecting wires, which I assume were for explosives, says Khalil Shaheen, who lives nearby. The destructive force of an Israeli rocket fired at a Palestinian house. Israel says its troops killed three militants of the Lion's Den group who refused to surrender. It wanted them over the killing of a soldier last year and for planning new attacks. But as paramedics struggled to move, more people were killed outside, gunmen and civilians, including a 72-year-old man while others, apparently unarmed, were seen running away as gunshots were heard. Palestinian officials called it a massacre. In the hospitals, the wounded and their relatives pour in. 15-year-old Islam says he threw stones towards the soldiers. He got a bullet in the leg. His grandfather, Jaffa Abu Aishi, tells me young and old were hit. They came in with so much rage, so much hatred against the Palestinian people. It's the first time I've known it like that since 2004, he says. Well, we're seeing more and more relatives arrive here. And on this ward alone, they are treating people in every room now with bullet wounds. One doctor I spoke to said this is one of the worst events of its kind he's seen recently. He called it a disaster. Thousands turned out for another day of funerals. The raid in Nablus is now the deadliest in the occupied West Bank in nearly two decades. Have you heard about what happened in Huara this year? In March this year, when Bezalel Smotrich, the uh, Israeli cabinet minister, called for the entire town to be erased. The village of Huara must be wiped out. The state of Israel should do it. We cannot continue to leave the job to private citizens. This is reference to the settlers who'd gone on the rampage in the area. God forbid that should happen, dragging old people out of their homes and taking their homes. Just as simple as that. We should not be dragged into anarchy where civilians take the law into their own hands. The Israeli Defence Forces must do this job. And uh, coalition backbenchers Viga Fogel told Gali Israel Radio a closed, burnt-out Huara. That's what we want to see. It's the only way to achieve deterrence. We need to burn these villages out. Can I want to so, say... So, 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 you know, this is, this is a daily reality for the Palestinians. Now, of course, the murder of a thousand 
people. And I, I don't say innocent civilians, because for me, murder is murder. I don't care if they're members of the Israeli Defense Forces, Hamas fighters, babies. These are precious, precious human lives. And, you know, the, the, the murder of a thousand Israeli people slaughtered like that in just this horrific rampage, you know, that's where this, that's where this goes. It just, it's a tit for tat that goes on forever. And we saw it in the North. I mean, yeah. it was just going on forever. You know, the unionists would say, you know, look, let's, let's, you know, let's ramp it up. Let's bomb these ghetto areas of the North. Let's, let's go into West Belfast and do a proper job on them. You know, and let's, let's get the job done. We've got, we've got the, the third most sophisticated military in the world, the British military. We've got, we've got the guys who invented interrogation techniques, torture, exported them around the world. You know, we've got a tiny population, maybe 500,000 Fenians, right? Let's get in and get the fucking job done. And it was a constant cry. Paisley, Paisley, Molyneux, you know saying? And like, let's fucking do the job on them. Let's, let's have a mass detention camp. There we go. Well, right. That's we've, what I was going to say. We've got was, them in there We now. talked about this in Peter Taylor, let this, how internment. Let, let the soldiers go in and fucking shoot them. Yeah. Let's spend two days in Bally Murphy shooting the fucking West Belfast fucking Republican animals. Let's put this to bed. And what did it do? It just got... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Worse. I go worse. I go worse. Young police officers being shot in the face, young prison officers being booby-trapped. You know, a friend of mine, Pater Hafrin, getting his fucking legs blown off in a, in, in, in a Republican bomb. You know, it just gets worse and worse and worse until eventually in the North, the international community said, look, we've got an opportunity here. We've got an opportunity here. Now, international community bears a heavy responsibility for what's going on out there because they know the truth of it. I mean, Keir Starmer said, and I think it was a disgrace. He's an unprincipled, deeply dishonest man. What a fucking pity that he is what the labor movement has at their head but that he should say, a lawyer, not only a lawyer, but at one time the senior criminal lawyer in England and Wales, to say when he was asked, is it acceptable to starve a civilian population, to collectively punish them? And he says, I believe it is Israel's right. Well, you see, I think that again, in in, a, in an even that's an even more extreme example of him, his politics trumping his judgment or morality. Like there was a, there was a smaller example of that recently, where he 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 having told having told the people of Liverpool he would never have anything to do with the Sun, he wrote an article for the Sun, yeah. uh, 
Now, his, justific- you know the worst his, thing in the world? his justification was that I need to reach these people. Now, at the same time, there are other ways of doing that. You can, but again, it also layers up, upon, layers up a sense of betrayal for, by people who feel let down. And I want to say something just to come back to the Jeremy Corbyn thing, because I think one of the things that was sort of point, one of these pointless acts of kind of stupidity after the attacks were people following Jeremy Corbyn around, trying to get him to say something because they feel he will uh, sort of equivocate on, on Hamas or he will do something. And I actually thought that when, this is one of those instances, when Jeremy Corbyn talked about violence needing to end, he got perfectly, the tone perfectly right. His tone was the correct tone because, and it's funny because I was reading something in the, in the Irish Times this week, and I think the author will surprise you maybe, but it, it said, uh, Europe sat on its hands on the annexation of the West Bank. Those of us in the Shannon who passed the settlement goods bill as a small but important symbolic rejection of the creeping illegal annexation of the West Bank were described by the Israeli government as anti-Semitic. Ireland must now shout out loud against total war in Gaza. The only response that will avoid further long-term catastrophe is restraint and adherence to international law. Israel's right of self-defense must be proportionate, lawful, and humane. That response might echo across the generations. Do you know who wrote that? No. Michael McDowell. Yeah. You know, and that's where when you, again, and he's looking, yeah, at, are, from, he's we, looking at it from a legal we are, point we of are view. A law, we are a very law-abiding nation. Yeah, I mean, I I struggle to think, you know, and of course we have our debates about Ireland and about injustices here and about inequalities and housing and things like that. But we live, we are so fortunate to live in this country, a country where there's such a strong sense of community, prosperity. You know, it's relatively classless. We have tremendous educational opportunities for everyone. And, and, and we live in peace and we're able to, we're able to enjoy the world, enjoy each other in safety. I mean, we can go out on a Friday night and sometimes a Saturday night and sometimes something. Sometimes a Saturday morning. Sometimes a Monday. Um, not you anymore, obviously, but, but we can do all that and we're not looking over our shoulder. We're not in fear. We're not, you know, we're, we're in, we're in a remarkably peaceful and benign society. And we see, we see, because of our past, what's possible for Israel and what's pos- possible for Palestine. I mean, Hamas since, since 2017 have recognized the two-state solution. And the problem now is that as, as, as many, many prominent Israeli writers and thinkers are saying, the problem now is that Israel is headed by a corrupt leader, a criminal defendant, you know, who, who is protecting himself mm. and who is a bit like, you know, Thatcher in the Falklands. This is, you know, this is the time to sort of say, well, let's, we're going to go to war here. Let's, and, and, and that captures the emotions of the moment. And instead of leading the people to the path of peace and civilization and long-term security for the people of Israel, God knows they deserve it after what those people have been through. And I mean the, the, the suffering that was inflicted on them, the dreadful anti-Semitism sort of culminating in, in, in uh, the attempt to exterminate them all together in World War II. I mean, they surely must see that this is the only path. But in order to do that, you need an honest leader, a leader with integrity. And they don't have that. Well, we... I mean, instead you've got a populist strongman. I mean, um, I was reading the Washington Post on the 11th of October. Yuval Noah Narari, another very eminent Jewish writer. He said, look, Israel is being governed by a populist strongman, a public relations genius, but an incompetent prime minister who prefers his personal interests over the national interests and has built a career in dividing the nation against itself. You know dehumanizing of the Palestinians, this terrifying perpetual war on the Palestinians, prosecuted with indiscriminate cruelty by our occupying army and its de facto proxies, fanatical settler militias, you know, and, 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 you know, it's an exhausting cycle. You rebuild, 
you sort of get some stability. Then it happens all over again. You know, you've got this wholesale imprisonment of people penned behind walls and barbed wire fences. I mean, and like, and and Israel can just turn their electricity on and off at a will. Well, it's not just, even just the just imprisonment. I, I, you know, you read stories this week of Palestinian workers in Israel then being, uh, being arrested, you know, being beaten and, and, and taken out of their, their workers camps. And, uh, you know, I was just reading a story in, on Al Jazeera about, uh, somebody who has been working in construction in the Rishon area, south of Tel Aviv for two years. He said that on Monday at about midnight, large forces from the Israeli army stormed dorms where about 37 workers from Gaza lived. They began searching, checking our identities, beating us and insulting us. They expelled us towards one of the checkpoints near Ramallah. We did not have a single penny and we were not allowed to take any of our belongings. So this, this humanitarian... It's just a life of humiliation. Yeah, but, it, and, but it's happening on all sides. So you're being told to get out, your civilians have been told to get out of Gaza. Palestinians are being, who are working, who have the right to work in Israel, are being beaten. Like the Jews, like the Jews who had the exit permits, the work permits to work in, in outside the Warsaw Ghetto. It's exactly the same. I mean, the bottom line is this. No country can wage a full-scale war on a nation, its people, its land, its holy sites, and expect that people to submit to it and take it. Because human beings don't do that. Human beings rebel. You know, our, the, the history of the world is the history of rebellion against oppression. You know, and, you know, the bottom line is that someday the Palestinian people will be free. But why? Why do we have to wait for atrocity after atrocity to sit down and start doing that? I mean, the United Nations Charter was drafted after the horrors of World War II. We, the peoples of the United Nations, determined to save succeeding generations of mankind from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has brought untold sorrow to mankind and to reaffirm our faith in fundamental human rights and the dignity and worth of the human person, the equal rights of men and women and of nations large and small, to promote social progress, for these ends to practice tolerance, live together in peace with one another as good neighbours, to unite our strength to maintain international peace and security, you know, and to ensure by the acceptance of principles in the institution that armed force shall not be used save in the common interest and to ensure the maintenance of international peace and security. I mean, Article 33 of the Geneva Convention in 1949 couldn't be clear. No protected person may be punished for an offence he or she has not personally committed. Collective penalties and likewise all measures of intimidation or of terrorism are prohibited. Religious prohibited. Reprisals against protected persons and their property are prohibited. Article 25, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, enshrines the right to food. I mean, international law prohibits these things. They're all crimes against humanity. The use of famine or starvation of civilians is a method of warfare. The destruction of crops and goods essential to the survival of the population. The requisition of objects indispensable to the survival of the civilian population. You know, and all of these. I mean, the United Nations High Commissioner, Volker Turk, warned Israel a public warning from the United Nations on the 10th of October that the collective punishment of Gaza that they were proposing is prohibited under international humanitarian law. They just really don't give a fuck. Fuck, oh. you, fuck you. You, know? I, you mentioned Gideon Levy in Haaretz and, you know, he had a piece about, you know, how he's thinking about the Gazans now when it seems like no one else in the world cares what happens to them anymore. And uh, he wrote about that. It, he wrote that um, this week in the South there was a red alert and we ran to a safe room every few minutes. The sirens wailed in Tel Aviv too. In Gaza there is no red alert, no siren and no safe room. Hamas is the one criminally responsible for this, but the population is completely abandoned to its fate. Women, children, and the elderly have nothing at all to shelter them from the bombardments. Try to imagine it. Relentless bombardments with no prior warning. Indiscriminate bombings, as the IDF spokesperson says. The emphasis is on damage, not precision. Yeah. And then he says, and this is the thing, 
17 years of the blockade closed Gaza off to me. I presume it has changed since then. A new generation was born into even greater despair. But is it possible to remain indifferent, even to joke in some cases at the sight of the images from Gaza? How is this possible? How is it possible to forget that these are human beings whose ancestors were expelled from their land and placed in refugee camps where they would remain? These were human beings whom Israel dispossessed and expelled, whom it conquered again in their land of refuge and then turned into animals in a cage. They've experienced indiscriminate bombardments before, but now the worst of all is ahead of them. Yeah. I mean, the United Nations Relief and Works spokesperson Tamara Al-Rafia at a press conference in Geneva on Tuesday set out just a few facts. These are just facts. There are now 140,000 newly displaced people whose homes have been destroyed. They're sheltering in schools run by the United Nations for Palestinian refugees in Gaza. The complicating the response is the fact airstrikes have damaged 18 of their facilities in the Gaza Strip, including a school for the blind. There are 1.7 million Palestinian refugees in Gaza, almost a million children. The majority of them are living under the poverty line. And they use the United Nations as a lifeline. This is a quote for food, education and health. And uh, the United Nations also refuted allegations that Hamas fighters are using UN facilities for their operations. And, you know, these very disturbing, very disturbing human, these are facts. UNICEF say that over one million children are in need of humanitarian aid in the Gaza Strip in the West Bank. That's half the child population. And, you know, you're talking about now Israeli attacks are hitting already exhausted Palestinian people in Gaza. You know, now they're scavenging for food. Scavenging for food. You know, there's nothing to eat. You know, and the world is watching this. No one's parachuting it in food aid. I mean, Israel have simply closed it off. Uh, this, this is, this is, you know, this horror as it unfolds. There are two points that strike me about it. obviously the the human horrors, the misery that that will inflict, and the death and the starvation of small children, adults, and everyone else. There is the moral revulsion that I feel at this. But let's forget about the moral revulsion. Practically, pragmatically, this is no good for Israel. This is just going to keep rebounding on Israel. Yeah. What is the fucking point of it? I know. Well, that's um, that's the tragedy of the of the cycle, isn't it? That 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 keeps happening. And you know, we started we started the first part by I was talking about nine eleven. And, you know, to me, the parallels with that are, are so great because, you know, everyone's saying this is Israel's 9-11 and 9-11 was such a horror, but, and, you know, it's always, you should be wearing or putting a butt in after anything like that, but it was such a horror. And then how America felt it had to respond. And it was still, and it wasn't the quick response that Israel are doing with Gaza. What made it worse in some ways that it was 18 months until they invaded Iraq. But again, that fever, those drumbeats of war, that sense of we must do something, you know, the... the, the Revenge the, isn't it? Is we it must do, and like that bloodthirstiness yeah. that just comes and comes. And, and again, it wasn't as if uh, people could see this coming. Like the, 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 the great tragedy about, of Iraq, beyond the, 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 huge, the millions of, of lives lost and the human suffering, was the people at the time were saying, what are you doing? Yeah, but they're not white. They're not white, and there's definitely a difference. But, but I if know, we, but, but... If, if, if we, we still cannot, we still not cannot see people of colour, we cannot see their lives as being as valuable as white lives. It is a fact. The media, the media approaches it in an entirely different way. The way the media, even our media, 
compares and contrasts Israeli lives to Palestinian lives is for me shocking. You know, it's just a fact of our lives now and we're conditioned in this way. About the ninth hour when Jesus was on the cross, and I, I thought of these words, you know, he cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, I, why have you forsaken me? I think about that when I think about these people in, in, in uh, Gaza, and these people in Israel, all of whom are looking for a solution but with the international community really allowing Israel to do what it likes. None of that is possible. And I particularly point the finger at America, you know, which is a country I greatly admire. And I thought again, as I often do at these moments of, of the Derry Poet, this idea, this fantasy that Israel can bomb Gaza out of existence can force them all to leave there, can get rid of this problem by simply ethnically cleansing them. And I thought of Hahini's great requiem for the croppies. You know, I thought of Israelis, sort of the fact that they're a military superpower fighting against guys with Kalashnikovs and petrol bombs and, 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 and broken down cars and machine guns welded to the back of the cars against an unbelievably sophisticated military with their Iron Dome and their drones and all of the things that they have. And I just thought, you know, that, that uh, Heaney's Requiem for the Croppies tells us he just cannot beat the people. The pockets of our great coats full of barley is about the 1798 rebellion. No kitchens on the run, no striking camp. We moved quick and sudden in our own country. The priest lay behind ditches with the trump. A people hardly marching on the hike. We found new tactics happening each day. We'd cut through reins and rider with the pike and stampede cattle into infantry, then retreat through hedges where cavalry must be thrown until, on Vinegar Hill, the final conclave. Terraced thousands died, shaking scythes at cannon. The hillside blushed, Soaked in our broken wave. They buried us without shroud or coffin, and in August the barley grew up out of our grave. We survived. Look at us now, in spite of everything the British Empire tried to do. We're now one of the world's most progressive, peaceful, successful countries, a flourishing free democracy. And make no mistake, the Palestinian people will survive. You know. But there's an urgency in this now, you know. Precious human lives are being lost, and it is the very definition of insanity. I, when 9-11 happened a week after it, Martin Amos wrote an essay, and Martin Amos wasn't a dove or anything. He wrote an essay on the 18th of September, and he said what he felt should happen. He knew, he knew violence was coming, but he said... The crippled and benighted people of Afghanistan, hunkering down for a winter of famine, should not be bombarded with cruise missiles. They should be bombarded with consignments of food, firmly marked Lend-Lease USA. More realistically, unless Pakistan can actually deliver bin Laden, the American retaliation is almost sure to become elephantine. Then terror from above will replenish the source of all terror from below unhealed wounds. Our best destiny as planetary cohabitants is the development of what has been called species consciousness. Some, something over and above nationalisms, blocks, religions, ethnicities. During this week of incredulous misery, I've been trying to apply such a consciousness and such a sensibility. Thinking of the victims, the perpetrators in the near future, I felt species grief then species shame, then species fear.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.